Start jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening. Whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the event horizon where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into the worlds of science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I am your host, Gene Turnbow. And I am your other host, Susan Fox. And with us is... Uh, David Raiklin. An accomplished, remarkable composer... And a disclaimer, who also writes for Sci-Fi.Radio. Welcome to the show, David. It's so good to be here. Welcome, everyone. I'm so glad that you could join us. We've got some really cool sci-fi music. Yeah, and the the music comes from uh, Mark Scott Zakri's Space Command. Yes, Space Command. A sizzling retro future and... uh, hopeful vision of the future and that's what we've been telling people that we were going to do that the world needed a optimistic hopeful vision of the future and that's something that all science fiction had for generations until we started to get into the 21st century and it was found that dystopias and violence helped get people onto their um, TV channel, cable channel, or out to the movies better than the optimistic visions and were also easier to write and produce. Oh, so, I get that. I just don't get that. Who, who you know, so we've we've got, got we can watch away. CNN for that. We and don't now, we bring, now we're bringing it back. Yeah, I, I think it started earlier than the 21st century, though. I think it goes way back, I'm, as far as science fiction and media goes, I think it goes all the way back to 1934, uh, KPEX RUR. Well, yeah, well, but, well, but, but we've had some... all along. What I'm saying is that there used to be uh, positive science fiction, uh, a hopeful future, and there used to be, uh, you know, utopias that where the world was perfect, and then there would also be... Um, dystopias where things didn't work out well in the future. In other words, there was a whole variety of futures, and most of them were positive, but there were plenty of dystopias, too. Then the equation changed in the 21st century when basically all versions of the future were kind of funneled into the dystopia because Mm -hmm. that's what the executives believed would sell and indeed it did sell and we're trying to show that people actually do love and care about the future and want it to be good they don't want to always see things turn out bad sometimes they can turn out great 
No, I'm absolutely with you on this, and we can see that in the 2000s. Um, in the revival of Battlestar Galactica, which was all grim and dark, and how on earth were these people going to survive and and bring the species back if they're not, everybody hates each other? I, I, I could not get into the nuke series, and this, this makes me an outlier in fandom, and gosh, I'm sorry. Um, we saw Stargate turn around from the very rah-rah optimistic uh, beginnings of the first two shows. The third was grim, dark, and everybody hated each other. And that's the one that tanked the whole, whole franchise, as far, as far as I can tell. And Star Trek Discovery did this too. The first Ooh, season of that was, was dystopian and dark and just gritty for gritty's sake. Yeah, but that turned around, wow. didn't yeah, it? Yeah, they fixed it, thank God. Yeah. Yes, but, you know, that's um, going back to a tradition where the the series in um, well earlier versions of Star Trek series were more positive and utopic, so they were just getting back to it. But there's other series that I mean, dystopic series can be wonderful too, um, and certainly in Space Command we have terrible things that go wrong on a uh, massive scale and huge problems that have to be dealt with. But the difference is that in Space Command, people fight and face impossible odds, but they find a way to work together and win. <laughs> well, that's it. It's it's about cooperation. Uh, it's a massive landscape, a massive tapestry or canvas to paint on. It's the story of three families that are always there at the turning points, at the defining moments in human history as we explore the solar system and beyond out into the galaxy and humanity meets its destiny with uh, surprising <laughs> results. For example, uh, the, the, the first couple of episodes are focused on Doran Evan, uh, played by Doug Jones. And he's an android who develops a religious conscience. And nobody expected this to happen. So it causes tremendous uh, disruption in the world before people understand that androids and artificial intelligences have rights too. No, the f one of the opening scenes with Mira Furlan, uh, where um, Mira Furlan, yeah, Mira, Mira Furlan, uh, where she uh, invites the newly minted captain to join her in a Chinese restaurant yes, on Mars, Japanese, but or yes. Japanese, and I just uh, watched it, and uh, there are androids sitting there having a meal. You know, and she says uh, there are more efficient ways for them to process energy, but still they come. You know. Yes, uh, Amira is wonderful. Let me see. Rest in power. Uh, it was such a, a thrill to work with her. Uh, one of the interesting things we've done, cool things that we've done with the soundtrack that not every show gets to do, is every character has a character theme, ah. and most of them are performed by the symphony orchestra and electronics and the chorus, plus featuring the actor who played the part 
on screen singing their character theme on the soundtrack. Can all these people really sing? (laughs) Well enough. Okay. I'll be damned. I've never heard of that before. I've never heard of anybody even trying that. I mean, that that's just, you know, you it's a roll of the dice. You got lucky. Well, uh, it didn't happen magically. Uh, uh, this was one where I had the idea, uh, the, the concept, and I pitched it to them, convinced the performers that it was worth doing, which in some cases was, was pretty easy because it's actually fun to sing. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, I know Mira Furlan could sing. And yes. of course, and, uh, uh, you know, she sings in uh, Conlang, a constructed language. We needed to invent a language for an ancient alien race that I can't really tell you about without giving it away. But it was it was fun to construct our own language that actually has meaning and it allowed the actors to speak and sing in a way that sounds like a meaningful conversation because they are saying something that actually is meaningful in this language. But because it's a constructed language, it always sounds foreign or alien to everyone. And if you think about it, that's also a a pretty neat thing to do, is to create a language that sounds equally new or equally familiar to everybody which is the point of the soundtrack, of course. But uh, taking it to human speech takes it one step further. The human voice as an instrument in itself. Excuse me a moment. I have to turn off this stupid... (laughs) Alexa, stop. I'm going to mute this sucker. Here we go. Oh, boy. So you figure that the androids would be saying one one zero zero one zero zero one zero one zero. Alexa, stop. I thought it was Echo. Alexa, stop. Echo, stop. Oh, for I'm gonna I'm gonna I've got to yank the power on this thing. It's got a mind of its own. <laughs> yes, it, it's been liberated by door. I'm beginning to think so. Okay. We should leave this in. This is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I've, it's I've, starting. I've I have done Mortal Kombat with the with the uh, artificial intelligence and defeated it. <laughs> <laughs> See, yes. they could have just just you know solved the whole. It would be a much shorter show if they could just unplug door. Yeah. Yes. Yank the batteries. Uh-huh. He's done. <laughs> so, um, well, door has a friend. Uh, named Yusuf Sikander, who is a human that works with him in a mining colony. And uh, uh, Yusuf is played by the brilliant and charming Robert Picardo. Who can sing. He gives a a really (laughs) memorable performance uh, of somebody who is gradually persuaded to see the light. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So and Bill Mummy does that too. Only his character is considerably more resistant to seeing the light. <laughs> yeah, he seemed to me like the uh, kind of the ultimate smarmy uh, uh, corporate exec. Bit of a different part for him. He's yeah. usually kind of a good guy or a you know or an innocent. I'm thinking of you know um, you know Babylon Five, and this mm-hmm. was 
just a real turnaround for him, and I bet it was fun as hell to play. Uh, yes, well, you know, he gets to play the world's first trillionaire. <laughs> I think he might. Isn't Jeff, uh, Jeff Bezos? He's there? he's on his way. Jeff Bezos is on his way. Yeah. Elon Musk is on his way. Yeah. Well, they're at fifteen percent, so uh, they've got a considerable ways to go to get up to a trillion. <laughs> well, maybe by twenty eighty four they'll manage it. Yeah. Yes, and that's another wonderful thing is that the whole saga takes place over two centuries. So when we say families, we're talking about multiple generations where the father is one kind of a personality and their son or daughter goes in a different direction, but fate takes them to a decisive turning point in, in human history just like their parents faced but they have a different crisis and a different way to deal with it so it keeps things both kind of rhyming and with a, a predictable structure plus unpredictable new things that are constantly coming in so in that sense it, it's also kind of a cool way to, to tell a serialized story that instead of it being the the character kind of has to stay the same from week to week so you can pick up the story instead we're jumping ahead years or decades to see what happens when after they've solved this crisis and they have their family and are living their life and now humanity has gone further out into the universe and they have another problem and their kids have to take care of it well, that's a common trope from, you know, from television for years. Uh, you know, you, you'd have these sweeping family sagas, you know, oh, they've, the Old West, World War One, World War Two. Yes, uh, yes. I, it's kind of like how the West was won, only uh, bigger and science fiction-y. Yep. Just, just. Speaking of that, I mean, that's, that's where I wanted to go next with it, was that this, watching the first episode of it, this felt really, really a lot like watching E.E. E. Doc Smith's Lensman series. Mm -hmm. if, if they had been able to shoot it, this is they would have come up with something like this, and it would have felt like this. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's a great compliment. Uh, that's one of our inspirations. Uh, we take inspiration from two main eras of science fiction. One is the, the 50s. Uh, when future histories, if people aren't uh, hip to what that means, future history is where the author writes a series of stories, it could be short stories, novels, combinations, uh, that have a preset timeline of what's going to happen like it was going to be a, a historical retelling, except it's set in the future. So the author has figured out what are the important things in history that are going to happen and writes them. So that's what we're taking from the 50s, plus their design aesthetic, which has a very cool kind of feel to it where it's – you can feel the optimism. Uh, this is you know the, when, when NASA was invented and when – space travel was just a, a, a glint on the horizon and the art from that era has that sense of th there's a new era dawning and you know we haven't quite figured out what it is but it's going to be really cool and our art 
has some of that aesthetic in it, just update it. Oh, it totally does. This would be like if, if Hannes Bach and, and Kelly Frias had designed for NASA, it would have looked like this. <laughs> I got very yeah, exactly. excited about and, uh, that. You know, we, we love Kelly Frias. So, uh, and, and Ed Emschwiller, if you know him, he oh, was yeah. a oh, yeah. wonderful um, Cover illustrator yeah. and, and comic book artist who later became a very influential avant-garde video artist. Mm-hmm. So um, if, if you're not familiar with Ed M. Schwiller, you should check him out because he's quite a protean artist. Hmm. No, I, I, I remember from him. From, yeah. We got permission from Ed's son to use some of his original designs as oh. the uh, blueprint for uh, some of our uh, our props and uh, settings. That's that's wizard. Well, the whole world of science fiction literature is has its imprints and its fingerprints all over this. Half the cast, half the characters have names based on science fiction authors. Agree. Yeah, Lieutenant Bradbury, really? <laughs> yeah, the yes. Bradbury, Sturgeon, yeah, the Butler. <laughs> yeah, and, That's and wonderful. You know something really cool about that is that we had a uh, an exciting, really, and um, I guess almost like it was fate that one of the early stages of Space Command was a Kickstarter campaign that uh, set a record for uh, the most money raised for an original film. Hello, we helped on that. We we yes, were yeah, we contributors. Yes, but but I'm uh, hoping <laughs> that you know uh, everybody will, will will get up to speed a little mm-hmm. bit on this. And uh, you know we had um, endorsements from people like J.J. Abrams and Guillermo del Toro and. Well, these are all people who worked with the people uh, you were working with, aren't they? I mean, (laughs) Guillermo del Toro and and Doug Jones. Doug Jones, yeah. (laughs) You know, ham and eggs. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So uh, we were engaging the public with this campaign. And one of the ideas that happened along the way was that we would try and reach out because we were doing this project on our own from scratch without a studio we were going to the audience directly to fund it we thought that maybe we could cast one of the parts from the audience as well Mm -hmm. and so we started a talent search and one of the characters was named after Mark Zickery's mentor Ray Bradbury Uh and it turned out that by coincidence that the casting of Brian McClure as uh, Lieutenant Bradbury happened the week that Ray himself passed. So that wasn't planned. That was just, you know, fate or kismet or whatever. The, the, The universe telling us, yes, the baton is being passed. Yeah, he's a wow. nice looking boy. I, you know. Oh yeah, he's in fact, his career has really do. taken off. I mean, he's become a, a romantic lead in a, a couple of feature films, and he's had a recurring role on Atlanta and in Doom Patrol. And then you know we have our our star, Captain Kemmer, who uh, is is played by Ethan McDowell, and uh, Ethan is now a, a recurring character on The Walking Dead. Uh-huh. So. Uh, our cast has done well. Oh yeah, and uh, 
did you have the main the the uh, Space Command March done uh, for the Kickstarter before? Yes, uh, that was composed sight unseen. Mm. Before you'd seen a stitch of what what it was going to be. Well, what we had was the um, kind of art bank that we had established of uh, images from different artists that we liked that we wanted to to use as our references and uh, we had an early version of the script which was really a bible and in television parlance a bible has nothing to do with religion although in this case it happened to have something to do with religion but it, it, it's called the bible because it's where you go to find out everything uh-huh. you need to know about all of the characters and about the setting and the world they're in and what's allowed to do and what you can't do uh-huh. all of that is called the bible and every tv show has one and every uh showrunner you know the the person who's in charge of running the, the tv show uh, writes one of those and so that's what was my inspiration was our uh our gallery of vintage images and the bible and then i just try to imagine what that show would sound like and here is what you ended up with That's that was uh, wow. I mean, this is uh, quintessential uh, science I'm telling fiction. People, I'm telling people that this is the next science fiction theme you're going to get stuck in your head for the next month. Yeah, <laughs> this it's, is like Star Wars, you. man. You know, it's, and it's easy to see why. Yeah. I mean, this is this is strong stuff. Yes, well, that's one of the the key things for me is to make the themes memorable. Hopefully, something that can stay with you after you've switched to the other channels and and seen other things you can remember that tune and the vibe that it gives you of the hopeful optimistic future you maintained consistency and the quality of the music throughout uh, throughout all of the soundtrack uh, stuff that you that you did do for the show and uh, yes. you sent uh-huh. us you sent us 29 cuts <laughs> That's that's a lot, and it's all it's all this good. Now, how many episodes are there? Are these from? Um, God, I can't, I can't. 
This is from episode, well, season one, episode one, and season one, episode two. So this is forgiveness and redemption. Each of them a two-parter. Or is this is this just from from? This is redemption is a two parter, right? Uh, and you know the first part is basically the, what's called the, the the rising action, where it becomes clear that Dor is on a collision course with Space Command. <laughs> you know that his mission, his uh, his calling to free the artificial intelligences of, of the world from from slavery is going to run into the, the mission of Space Command to protect the Earth. And then that conflict and resolution happens in the second episode. So it all flows together very naturally. And the music is created in a very modern, state-of-the-art way. We use lots of electronics, lots of processing, lots of cool synthesizers, we even have a theremin in there, <laughs> mm-hmm. a live, real theremin. Wow. That, that sounds very cool. Wow. Plus a symphony orchestra that we recorded in Budapest mm. and uh, a chorus. Plus the actors, you know, doing their solo or their their textural work. Uh, there's a, a cut in there uh, called Ima Hive Mind. And I... I, if I, I tell you what Ima means, then, then we'll have to uh, send you to uh, an alternate dimension until everyone has seen the show. But It's uh, Hebrew for mother, isn't it? I'm, uh, I'm not actually <laughs> seeing that cut. I'm seeing other Ima cuts, but Hive Mind doesn't appear to be in this. Oh, okay. Then uh, I may have changed the, the title. You see, uh, when you put something in the movie, you need to give it a title mm-hmm. that really is clearly linked to the scene because mm-hmm. one of the, 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 the technical challenges uh, that's always been there since the earliest days of film scoring back when you know people were, were doing it on you know acetate <laughs> that uh, everything has to synchronize right. down to the frame and is it's it, so is it, uh... easy to have something slide around so we use something called time code that helps lock everything in place. But sometimes even the time code doesn't work, and then having a title that refers to something that's on screen will help people mm-hmm. line it up with where it's supposed to be. Is it is it Ima Mirage? Is that the one? Yeah, Ima Mirage has it in there. Okay. Also, the Ima poem in there has the English version of what they're saying in the Ima Conlang. And uh, the, the, the poem is performed by, by Mira Furland, who just gives a soulful and evocative reading. And it was really amazing to see how, how much talent she had in expressing things, that she could read that poem and make it come to life in ways that I hadn't imagined just through her talent and imagination and that she could make the words imply things that were beyond what I had thought of. Let's listen to that clip now. Beyond the horizon, all things have life. All who seek truth are welcome here. All study the ways of the ancient ships. Climb the ancient staircase to the terrace. Before you floats an image. 
Ima fire. Your right eye is day. Your left eye is night. Truth is one, but approach it in many ways. Reach out with your mind. Now journey to the gods beyond the horizon. That was an amazing, that was an amazing read. <laughs> that woman yes. could read anything and make it sound amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's remarkable how, uh, you know, you, you create something and you send it out and you send it out to the people that you're working with creatively and they add things to it that you had no idea could be, could be done and it's, it becomes greater than the sum of its parts. Yes, yes. And I, I've now figured that out, that Ima Mirage is the version that's included on the soundtrack, but Ima Hive Mind is another uh, more, what's the word for it, uh, evolved version of that sound mm-hmm. that, that happens, uh, happens later in the, mu- in the movie, but we can't include all the music. We, everything here that's good, it, 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 it's all good, but uh, this is not the complete soundtrack. However... I really gave you, the audience, the soundtrack as it's heard in the movie 90% of the time. Because I'm a soundtrack collector, I know lots of other people are soundtrack collectors, and that's the thing that we really want most. It's wonderful to hear these suites where the themes are woven together into something that you can play in a concert. but. What you really want most is that magic that happened when you first heard that music and you first saw it with the images and the movie was coming to life before your eyes. That's the music that we really want the most. And that's what I gave you here is this is 90% the cue as it's heard in the movie. Mm, that- is it more or less in or in chronological order? Yes, and it Thank is you. in show order. <laughs> Thank uh, you. <laughs> the, that, there's, that, uh, there's that one uh, there's one kind of what's the word for it um, structure thing that you should should be aware of is that it's a two-parter and we decided to put part two first because that's where the high action happens you know where the orchestra and the, the massive brass section mm-hmm. and the everybody is uh, at their most powerful and dramatic and we thought that that was better to put up front so people could get to that stuff right away without having to go through 20 tracks yeah I noticed that when I was running through the uh, playlist sampling each one that uh, you know you, you put your best foot forward on this and it's, it's yes, uh, but it's still in show order. In yeah, other words, uh-huh. the tracks that are at the beginning are all in the order of episode two, and then the it, it, the next set of tracks are all from episode one. So where uh, where can people go to hear the uh, hear the album or the or, album or buy it? Can you buy it? Uh, Apple, you know, Apple Music or iTunes. Uh-huh. It's uh, on Amazon. On Spotify, it's on a number of other services, uh, so uh, it, you should be able to find it. And it, if it's possible uh, to put a link, in, oh, you, uh, oh yes, absolutely, we'll put an, a link to it in the announcement article for it. Yeah, the, for, there, for this there is show, a, one of those uh, those special links where you click on it and it gives you a list 
of all of the uh, streaming services, mm -hmm. and then you just click whichever one that you prefer, and you can get it from that service. So I, I mentioned three, but there's a bunch of them, and uh, if you can post that link, you just click on that link and choose whichever service you like. That's awesome. That's it's awesome. on all of them. It's around the world. So you worked with a real symphony orchestra for this. This wasn't all just uh, you know synthesizer in a can stuff. <laughs> That's very true. We use the live organic instruments for their power, their expression, the passion, the humanity. We also have the electronics for their well, sometimes modern that's the and, right tool uh, for the edgy job. and uh, you know techy kind of sound. And we use them at what they're best at. So when there's a, a sensitive dramatic moment, I think that that should be supported by live acoustic instruments played by humans who are responding to the music and to the performance of the actors and supporting them in an organic and natural and not canned way. You know, it sounds fresh. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. But if we're having uh, a battle between uh, androids and humans, and you know they're firing their blasters and the, it's in outer space then having more of the electronic pulsing driving um, synthesizers help tell that story better and if people think that synthesizers can be as sensitive and as um, subtle as an acoustic instrument then you need to listen to more acoustic instruments <laughs> because you're missing out on mm -hmm. tons of stuff. Synthesizers are a long, long ways from having that subtle expressivity. Yes, you can be expressive with them. You just can't be as expressive as a violinist or as a singer. I mean, even the most hip of hip-hop has a human singing it. It's mm -hmm. not an AI singing, right? <laughs> not yet. You may give somebody an idea. Oh, I, I've already tried that, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. It's just that you have to have what's called taste. That is, <laughs> to know when is it appropriate to add this spice, and when is it appropriate to add that spice. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, ex exactly, exactly. But we should talk about this next part. There's also two songs on here that... Oh. You, you, yeah, we were commissioned done yet, and written uh, and performed for this show by two wonderful pop stars, artists, uh, wonderful uh, depth and experience in science fiction. And which which cuts are these? We only have titles. We don't know, you know, which are the vocals. The first is a wonderful song that I co-wrote with the fabulous Marina V. And Marina V is a, a pop star with a hauntingly beautiful voice. And World Unknown is a ballad about a love that has to cross time and space to achieve its fruition. And that really is part of the Space Command story. We've just turned it into a beautiful song uh, with beautiful production. Oh 
uncertain The words we spoke Can't be unspoken Centuries Come and go We must be brave We must have hope Cross an ocean Of a million lights happen to include some of the most talented people in Hollywood. So uh, we have uh, character designs by Ian McCaig, who designed Queen Amidala and mm -hmm. uh, Darth Maul and uh, Hagrid from Harry Potter. So he's also working on Space Command. Wow. I had no idea. Wow. 
I'm impressed. Yeah, the, the, the list goes on and on. Uh, you know, the people who performed on this soundtrack are the same people that performed on uh, soundtracks for major shows like uh, science fiction shows like Foundation. Mm-hmm. So oh, there's a lot really to be said quality. about Foundation and music and, and you know, centuries-long you uh, know, story plotting. arcs. Yeah. yeah, But that's another show. <laughs> uh, yes, but we we made it to screen quite a while before they did. Yes, yes, you did. And that's something to be <laughs> proud of. I love that show. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have been speaking with David Raiklin, composer of the soundtrack for Space Command. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Event Horizon here on Sci-Fi.Radio, David. It's been a real pleasure having you aboard. Well... As we say, it was a blast. <laughs> I said, see the cost we pay Is to hear the words we pray Arms that carry us away Given to the crowd, sense of self never allowed in the soul of the machine. Who is in the mirror? Who is in the mirror? Who is staring back from the other side of the mirror? In the church of blasphemy, backbreakingly heavy in the soul of the machine. Who is in the mirror? Who is in the mirror? Who's staring back from the other side of the have been listening to episode 237 of sci-fi.radio's weekly production of the event horizon for saturday february 26th 2022 our guest this evening has been film and television producer and composer david raiklin we have been discussing his work on the retro science fiction web series by mark Zot. oh for fuck's sake 
You have been listening to episode 237 of Sci-Fi.Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for Saturday, February 26th, 2022. Our guest this evening has been film and television producer and composer David Raikland. We have been discussing his work on the retro science fiction web series by Mark Scott Zickry entitled Space Command. This episode will air again at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern tomorrow afternoon, and two more times on the following Thursday and Saturday mornings at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern. Once all of the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode as a podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and on our own website at sci-fi.radio. Sci-Fi.Radio is listener-supported Sci-Fi Geek Culture Radio, and the vast majority of our funding comes from listeners just like you. If you enjoyed programming like what you just heard, we ask you to please visit patreon.com slash sci-fi radio and pledge five or ten dollars a month to help keep the station on the air. That's patreon.com slash sci-fi radio. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by science fiction illustrator Mark Schurmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. And the captain was voiced by science fiction grandmaster Larry Niven. This program is copyright 2022 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon on Sci-Fi.Radio. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>